For the last couple of weeks, we've been asking the question, what was it like at the time of Jesus' birth? And um, we found out some things that are kind of startling. We found out that Caesar Augustus, we got a picture of him, he thought of himself as God, and he wanted the whole world to worship him. He said if his father was God, and this was, this was mythology that they came up with, then he was the son of God and folks should worship him. And as the Romans would come to your little village or your country, they would um, say Caesar is Lord. If you said Caesar is Lord, then they would let you live and your country or your, your little city, your village could become a center of Caesar worship. If you didn't say Caesar is Lord, then many of you would be killed and the rest would be enslaved and it wouldn't be a pretty picture. Now, Caesar would say that he was bringing in a whole new rule of peace. But in the name of peace, he would slaughter people in order to expand his kingdom. And people aren't real smart. Humans aren't real smart. But it doesn't take a real sharp person to figure out that there's a huge contradiction between what Caesar said and what Caesar did. Now, we talked about last week, um, if you... If your known world, if you rule the known world and it's 3,000 miles from one end to the other, how do you rule someone who's 3,000 miles away if it takes your army nine months to get there? Well, what they did was they chose this half-Jew, half-Edomite guy named Herod. We got a picture of him to be king of Israel. And we talked about what a brilliant yet wicked man this guy was last week. He killed several sons, several wives because he was paranoid they were trying to take over his kingdom. He killed a lot of uh, Jewish people, leaders that disagreed with him. And he knew that he was so hated by the community that no one was going to cry when he died. So he had the hippodrome filled with all the leading Jewish uh, people. So, And his orders were, at the time of my death, you're supposed to strike all of them down. That way I'll be guaranteed that there will be weeping and mourning at the time of my death. Well, we know that they didn't follow through with that, but that shows the quality human being that Herod was. And he ruled Israel, he ruled the Jews for 40 years. So the picture is this. If you don't bow down to Caesar, you die. If you don't bow down to Herod, you die. And then they lived in this time of unbelievable taxation. 80 to 90% of their tax, of their money went to taxes. So let's just do the math, make it real simple. If you brought home a thousand dollars in a month, $800 to $900 would go either to pay the Caesar tax or the Herod tax. And part of the Herod tax was if you want to be a Jew and you don't want to say Caesar's Lord, that's fine. We'll give you this special little class, but you will have to pay for it. So how many of you, if you made $1,000 a month, could survive on 100 bucks a month? How many could do that? Right? Nobody. Neither could they. And so they would have to rent themselves out as day laborers and go where they could find anything, uh, any type of work. So it was not, not a good time to be a Jew. And if you're a Jew, you've always been taught. You know most of the Old Testament. You have probably half of the Old Testament memorized. You've been taught that you are God's chosen people. You are God's special people. You've heard the stories. You remember that, that they were delivered from Egypt. And, and there's even a Passover celebration that you do every year to celebrate when God showed up in a miraculous way and all of these, these millions of people got out of Egypt. And, and they go to the promised land. They remember the stories of the, the Jordan River drying up for 15, 16 miles so that they could pass through on dry ground. The Red Sea parted. They remember those stories. God brought down food from heaven. They know all of these stories. But it's been a long time since anybody's heard from God. In fact, it's been 400 years from the end, the last time they knew God spoke to them, the end of the Old Testament, until the time of Jesus, 400 years. And all you had to do was look around to see that God's people were not winning. A 400-year losing streak. The Chicago Cubs got nothing on the Jews. Some of you caught that, some of you didn't. 
Look at the people who are laughing and they'll explain later. 400 years they've not heard from God. And 400 years for human beings? You try four hours, you don't hear from somebody. Four days, you don't hear. 40 days, you don't hear from somebody. You're starting to think something's wrong, right? 400 years they'd not heard from God. And so this sense of despair had started to creep in. And they're saying, God, if you're so good, how come Herod's still on the throne? God, if you're so good, how come Caesar's running around calling himself God and you're not doing anything about it? God, if you're so good, how come the people of God are suffering unbelievable economic hardship and you don't seem to care? This is the reality when Jesus was born. But fast forward to today. Over 2,000 years later, we ask some of the same questions, don't we? God, if you are so good, how come my life sucks so bad? God, if you're so good, how come my husband left me or my wife left me? God, if you're so good, how come there's so much pain and suffering in this world? And we start to ask the same type of questions they do. God, why, why do you even allow divorce? God, why do you even allow people to, to hurt us? God, why do you allow cancer? Why do you allow these things? And we have all of these questions about God. And we're saying, God, are you even there? Are you too busy? Do you even care? Have you forgotten us? Right? You hear these questions, especially around Christmas time. Now, I want you to stop for just a second, and I want you to think about whatever it is that's holding you up from really following God with all your heart. There's something you're holding on to. There's some question in your mind that's keeping you from trusting God, and I want you to think about what that is, and I want you to fill in the blank. Here's the blank. It's on your listening guide. God, where are you in blank? You fill in the blank. Because where I struggle, it may not be where you struggle. And where you're, the person sitting next to you struggles may not be where you struggle. Vice versa. There is something that is keeping you, whether it's finances or relationships, there's something that's keeping you from making the next step towards what God has for you. And I want to know what it is. And I want to ask you right now, everybody, just to bow your heads. Bow your heads and close your eyes because I want you to think about what that thing is that's keeping you, that you're holding on to, that keeps you from releasing all of your life to God. What is it? And I want you to tell God. Just admit it. He knows it. He's waiting on you to admit it. Now with nobody looking around. And before I even go on in the sermon... If you're tired of holding on to that and you'd really like more of God in your life, again, nobody looking. It's kind of with your hands flat on your lap. Open them up as if you're releasing that to God. Just a symbolic gesture that God, here it is. It's yours. And I'm going to challenge you to say this. God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Now, I want you to see this verse because people have been asking, God, where are you? And God settled this thing long ago, two, over 2,000 years ago. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. 
Christmas isn't a story about eggnog and red and green sweaters and decorating the Christmas tree and stuff like that. It's a story about the poor, the downtrodden, the forgotten have a new king. What that means is Christmas is really the story about ordinary people have a new king. The baby in the manger represents something different, something new. And, and if your king is letting you down, I suggest that maybe today is the day you need a new king. Maybe you need to turn something over and get a new king. The good news is that Jesus' kingdom is for ordinary people. So whenever you feel down, I want you to look at the baby in the manger and I want you to be reminded that at just the right time, the, another translation of the scripture we just read, it says, at the fullness of time. See, God wasn't surprised by the economic, the political system, the religious system when Jesus was born. The Bible says, at the exact right time, God sent Jesus born of a woman. Why? So that we could be freed from slavery. Whatever sin is binding you up, whatever it is that you're questioning, that you're struggling with, God sent Jesus over 2,000 years ago so that you could be freed from that. There's some things you've got to do, though, in order to receive that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So let Christmas remind you, Caesar doesn't win. Herod doesn't win. There's a new king in town and his kingdom will never end. So at the very moment when everybody's asking, God, where are you? An angel appeared to a Jewish girl. Now, we know that Jewish girls were given in marriage around the age of 13, so Mary was probably very young when the angel shows up to her. And let's look. If you have your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 1. Remember, a couple weeks ago I told you that, that Matthew was asking who is Lord, and then Luke's Christmas story is who is king. Well, here's what Luke is telling, um, telling us in this story. Verse 26, in the sixth month, we'll talk about that in just a second, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Remember those two words. That's really big here. Highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. It's the second time in this chapter that an angel told them what to, to name uh, a baby. Zechariah was in the temple right before this. Um, he was going to have a son, and he said, Name him John. That became John the Baptist. The angel comes to Mary and says, You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you have your Bibles open, just leave them there, because we're going to kind of take this apart. The sixth month has to do with, um, with Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were married. Now, the weird thing is, uh, Elizabeth was going to have a baby. That was going to be John the Baptist. She wasn't a virgin. She'd been married for years, but she was barren. And in that culture... If you did not have a child, especially if you didn't have a son, it was considered that you were cursed by God. So in her old age, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel shows up to Mary and says, Hey, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, she's going to have a baby too. And so this is a big deal. And, and, you know, back then, sonogram wasn't available. So how did the angel know how far along Elizabeth was? Because he was God's messenger and he was sent to give this message to Mary. And it was all recorded in the Bible so that you'll know that God is a God of details. God knew this stuff ahead of time. Sure enough, three months later, John the Baptist is born. Now, Mary's virginity. 
Let's talk about that for a second. Because this didn't earn her some type of holiness that God decided to reward with his own son. Virginity was normal. There were probably 40 other virgins on Mary's block. In this culture, it was normal to be a virgin until you got married. Mary's virginity, what it represents, is the impossibility for her to bring something good from her womb. She couldn't do it on her own unless God showed up. And so she didn't have the power to conceive by herself. And so her virginity represents the hopelessness of her situation. And when you have a virgin involved and an angel comes and says, Oh, by the way, next year, three, uh, nine months from now, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, uh, uh, Just how's this going to happen? Mary has been through the sixth grade health class. She knows that some stuff has to happen before you get pregnant and some stuff hasn't happened. She wasn't showing lack of faith. She's going, um, point of information here. How is this going to happen to me? Because the stuff hasn't happened. And the angel said, don't worry about that. God's Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and is going to do a miracle in you. And Mary goes, oh, that makes sense. Happens all the time. Right? No. Now, this phrase, highly favored, it's used two times in the New Testament. Two times. This, anytime you're studying Scripture and you find words that are only used like this, you need to figure out the significance. The first time is right here with Mary. The, the angel comes to her and it's this greeting like, hey, um, pay attention. I've got something. You know, it's really like, hey, what's up? Yo, we would say that. Pay attention because I'm going to tell you something cool. That's what the angel is saying. But he calls her highly favored one. And we got to figure out what this means. Now, if this was the only time that it was used was, was for Mary, you'd think, wow, Mary is a special deal. Mary might even need to be up there with Jesus if this is the only time that this word is applied. But it's not. It's also applied in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And here it is. So we praise God for, his, for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved. The actual literal translation of dearly loved is highly favored. Same word used in the angel's greeting to Mary is now used here. Dearly loved, highly favored son. Jesus was the one who was highly favored. Hang on, we're going to get there. That's where it gets really good. When the angel spoke to Mary, he's saying, yo, pay attention, I got some really good news to you. The good news is God is going to come to live inside of you. God is going to do something in your womb that is miraculous, that has never been heard of before, will never be heard of again, except in your instance. You will be highly favored because you are carrying in your body God's highly favored, dearly loved son. What made her special and highly favored was because God was in her. And then in Ephesians, the same thing is used to, to talk to every believer in Christ. The same impossibility of Mary conceiving a child is, I'm, it's just as impossible for me to be good. I am a filthy sinner. I am the worst of all sinners. The only hope I have of heaven is if God comes inside of me and does something inside of me that I cannot do for myself. And when I gave my heart to Christ 41 years ago, God took up residence in me and I became highly favored in the eyes of God. It's because I'm carrying Jesus Christ in me because of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The same, it's not the, it's not the container that is so important. It's what's inside the container. When Air Force One is sitting on the runway and there's no president in it, is it that big an airplane? I mean, is it that big a deal? No. I mean, we'd still say that's Air Force One, but technically it is not Air Force One until the president gets on there. Then it becomes a very special plane because the most powerful man in the world is now on that plane. You become highly favored because God's 
dearly loved son lives inside of you. How's that possible? Well, we know the baby didn't stay in the manger. We know that he grew up and he went to a cross and he paid a price that he didn't have to pay so that you could go into heaven. And the only way you get in is to say, God, I ask you to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Like these two boys did that were baptized today, Jacob and Aiden. They bowed to Christ and God said, you're now highly favored. That's what Christmas means. That's why I get so excited about the Christmas story. And you're, you're probably thinking, well, how can I be highly favored in God's eyes? Because I know me and I'm not that good a person and it's impossible. I'm not like Mary. I want you to look just a little bit later in the verses. Luke 137. The angel says, for nothing is impossible. Would you say that for me? Say it again. Say it like you mean it. Can't hear you, Angela. Come on, Angela. I'm just messing with it. I just happened to see her. Nothing is impossible with whom? With God. Oh. So, so you're going to tell me that God can't clean you up because your life is so impossible. You're going to tell me that your life is so impossible that it's more impossible than God causing his son to be born from a virgin. Hello? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. When God is involved, the word impossible no longer exists. But it requires you to bow to that baby in the manger and accept what Christ has done. The reason you think your situation is impossible is because you have tried to clean yourself up over and over again. And you failed over and over again. And so you think it's impossible. And I was going to tell you, if you keep trying in your power, it will continue to be impossible. But luckily, we don't have to do it in our own power. If you want to be changed, then you've got to do what Mary said. Here it is in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, he's my king. In other words, I have a new king from a new kingdom. He is my king. I am the Lord's servant and I am willing to accept what he wants. Do you think Mary understood everything that was going on? She's 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. You think she understood the angel shows up. You're going to have a baby. Oh, how, how will this be? God's going to do it. Oh, okay. And then she says, I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever he wants. My question is, are you willing to accept whatever he wants? Because I think some of the most frustrated people on the planet are Christ followers in the United States. Because we want just enough of God to look like we're religious, but not enough so that we look weird. We want just enough of God that everybody thinks, oh, they're a pretty good person. But not enough that people think we're odd. And I'm not telling you you have to be odd for God. I went through that. I was young when that was happening in the 70s. They were weirdos. Had nothing to do with the stuff they were smoking. They were weird. And I don't believe that's what God is calling us to do. I, I believe God's calling us to think that, that this has the answer and to follow it. I think God wants us to be obedient. In fact, the Bible says he won't waste his time on a non-obedient Christian or a non-obedient church. Obedience is the demonstration that you love and understand who God is. So it's a very dangerous prayer to pray. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. That's a dangerous prayer. But I'm going to tell you that life begins to have meaning and purpose when you pray that prayer and when you obey. It'll rock your world. Now, the angel predicted five things about this king. 
Before, before she ever got to this, he predicts five things. And let's run through these real quickly. First of all, he said he will be great. Now, Caesar claimed greatness, right? We know that. He said, I'm God. My dad's God. I'm God. He claimed greatness. Is Caesar still around? No. Herod claimed greatness. He lasted until 4 A.D. He claimed greatness and he built a lot of really cool stuff. We saw some of that last week. Way ahead of his time. Does his stuff even still exist? No, we found ruins of it. Would you even know Herod's name if it weren't for the Christmas story? And you probably wouldn't know Caesar Augustus. You would know Caesar because you've done enough study of history in school, but you wouldn't know Caesar Augustus specifically unless you knew from the Christmas story. Were they right? Were they great? No, because their kingdoms didn't stand the test of time. But here we are, 2011, and we're still celebrating the birth of the baby who was laid in the manger. Which one was great? Jesus. Second, he said, he will be son of the Most High. Now, angels didn't show up and say things just to be saying things. Mary would understand very, uh, very clearly this was a reference to the Messiah. The fact that, that the baby was to be called the Son of the Most High, in, in that culture, if you were to say that he is the Son of, what you were actually saying was he's a carbon copy of his father. When people say, I'm Chuck Washburn, I actually take that as a compliment. My dad is really quirky, but my dad is a neat man. Now, I know that Caleb at uh, 16, almost 17, if somebody says you're Doug Washburn, that's not necessarily a compliment right now. Maybe later in life it will be a compliment. But right now when they're saying you're a chip off the old block, oh, he, he, he is definitely Doug's son or he is definitely Chuck's son. What they were saying back then was he's a carbon copy of his father. So to say that he is the son of the Most High, Mary would understand this. And later in Scripture, in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God. So Mary would understand this very clearly, the son of the Most High. Third, he will sit on David's throne. Now we know that uh, in Matthew, he traces the lineage of um, Jesus all the way back to David. In the Old Testament, David was promised, you will have an heir who will sit on your throne. Here he is. Number four, he will be king of the Jews. Again, this was a big deal. In order to be king of the Jews, you couldn't be half Edomite and half Jewish like Herod was. To be the true king, you had to be full blood. And so his lineage was actually traced back through Joseph and through Mary, even though Joseph wasn't his uh, blood father. Number five, he said his kingdom will never end. Mary, when she heard all this, she would very clearly understand he's talking about the Messiah that everybody had been waiting for, that the Old Testament had been predicting. And she wasn't surprised that the Messiah was going to come. She was surprised that the Messiah was going to come through her. That was the big deal because she was a virgin. And when the angel, uh, what did the angel say to her? Nothing is impossible with God. So here's the question I have for you today. When does God show up? He shows up at just the right time. And just like with Mary, there is a perfect time when God shows up. In your life, there's a perfect time when God shows up. There will be a moment when God's going to approach you. A chosen time when all of the circumstances will line up and it's going to be a divine appointment. And God's going to give you the opportunity to receive light and life into the darkness, the darkest area of your life. I want you to see what the scripture says, this promise from 2 Corinthians 6.2. When the time came for me to show you favor, I heard you. When the day arrived for me to save you, I helped you. Listen, this is the hour to receive God's favor. Today is the day to be saved. So I, 
I want to tell you that today is the day God is approaching you. I'm not an angelic messenger, but I've been sent here today to tell you that today is the appointment that you have with God. Today can be a turning point in your life, but you have to say what Mary said, and that is, I am the Lord's servant, and I'm willing to accept whatever He wants. God does the impossible. He turns ordinary into extraordinary. The manger was a feeding trough for animals. And when the king was laid in it, it became the the bed of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Mary was an ordinary girl. There was nothing extraordinary about her until Jesus Christ came to live inside of her and grow inside of her. And then she became um, highly favored because God was inside of her. Now, question. How many of you feel ordinary today? Then guess what? God is choosing you. Because he makes a habit of choosing ordinary people to do extraordinary things because then he gets the credit for it. He doesn't want superstars because superstars tend to pat themselves on the back. He wants humble, obedient servants because then God gets the glory when he does something miraculous. You say, I am the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. You do that, you have a new king. Now, this announcement from the angel, it meant that Caesar was going down. It meant that Herod was going down. The clock was ticking on a new type of kingdom. A new king was on the scene. And he would have a kingdom that would never end. At just the right time, God showed up. Now, if this life was all that mattered, if this life, this planet was all that mattered, then God blew it. Because a lot of people have died early, senseless deaths. But if God showed up at just the right time, if this life isn't all there is, then God's plan makes perfect sense. This God showed up right in the middle of unbearable economic circumstances. Repressive religious beliefs in the midst of human suffering. This God in the manger... He's of flesh and blood, and he knows what we've gone through. Says that he can empathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted. He understands, but he was sinless. Those who've been stepped on will be stepped on no more in this kingdom. God has not forgotten his, his people, and this story of Jesus is good news. Herod's kingdom, it's a pile of rocks. Caesar's, well, we can thank him for the salad, but a lot of rocks. From his kingdom. Uh, what are we celebrating next week? Are we celebrating Caesarmas? Are we celebrating Herodmas? No, it's Christmas. So who won? Jesus did. The story about Mary reveals to us a God who never forgets, who sees the suffering of his people, and he will not delay his kingdom forever. It's a story about God who showed up at just the right time and he turned the world upside down. So this Christmas story is really about setting people free. Herod doesn't win. Caesar doesn't win. And here's really the message today. Your story is not finished yet. The question is, who's your king? Because when God shows up, the impossible becomes possible. And you know, this has to be the most bizarre story on the planet. But if it is true that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's better than good news. That's the best news possible. 
And if you accept that, then you have been adopted into the family of God. And your past does not have to define your future. I can't tell you how many times people will call and they say, Oh, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. And I tell them over and over, I've been doing this for 20-something years, I've been telling people, God's not worried about your past. He's so much more interested in your future. And your future can be different because with God, there is no such thing as impossible. And in this room, we have a lot of messed up people. Some of our mess ups we've caused. Some of our hurt and our pain is caused by other people. We were innocent, mostly. It doesn't matter. You're hurt and you're messed up. And you're being defined by your past. And Christmas is the time that God shows up and He says, It doesn't have to be this way anymore. Will you be like Mary? Say, I'm the Lord's servant, whatever he wants me to do. Bow your heads for just a moment. Are you willing to pray this prayer? God, whatever it is for this life you want me to have, I want to do it. Because I've seen the baby in the manger and now I know. Now I know that that your glory and your kingdom is enough for me. So I want to ask you to pray this silently. God, would you use me for your glory? Would Would you use this life to bring others into this new kingdom? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Father, it's my prayer that we really understand that nothing in your kingdom happens just by chance. You're a God of details. You're a God who does things on purpose. You're a God of order. And it's not a mistake that people are here today. It's not a mistake that people were born in Palestine, Texas. Palestine is not a dirty word in your vocabulary. It's not a curse that someone is here. There's a reason they're here. And it's not only to discover your kingdom. It's to help others in this place discover your kingdom. Because God, if we could see into the spiritual world, we'd see a lot of people within driving distance of this church that are bound for hell. Some of them don't even know it. Wake us up this Christmas to the new kingdom. And help us introduce that new kingdom to others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.